In this season of Our Sexual History, I wanted to take a look at the more modern and indeed futuristic aspects of sex in our culture, and today's episode is no different. Ireland isn't a country that's known for its frank discussions about sex, and we've said as much in previous episodes. However, despite that, sex certainly has permeated our pop culture in the past 30 or so years, and not just from American and British influences either. So much of what has shaped Ireland's sexual cultural identity has been homegrown, and as someone who didn't grow up here, this is most certainly a topic that I wanted to dive into. On today's show, we have the writer of the blog Legless in Dublin, Louise Bruton. Thanks so much for coming out. Thanks for having me, Shauna. Um, so I wanted to get you in because you know a lot about pop culture. And as an American, I didn't obviously grow up here. So we wanted to talk about Irish pop culture and things that have happened in and around Irish pop culture that might have changed the way we've thought about sex so yeah <laughs> what, what have you got for us um well we were only really officially allowed to start discussing sex in the public forum around 1993 so that's when things um really kick off and i think one of the most uh, visually important parts of sexual history within the irish pop culture is uh boyzone's first appearance on the late late show in um 1993 <laughs> where <laughs> it was um there was the five uh, members the key members of boys and plus two other lads who didn't make the cut um but gay burn introduced them um as a bunch of lads who couldn't really sing couldn't really play instruments but they looked all right they looked all right and they had the moves they had them oh boy did they <laughs> <laughs> um so i think they were like half dressed, like you saw a few, if you saw a few torsos on show. Um, there was a lot of crotch grabbing um, for kind of early 90s Middle Ireland. I think this was sort of a shocking thing to have just men there on view as sort of just something to enjoy looking at yeah. rather than hearing them speak or, um, or like really. They did eventually develop some talent, but at that time it was just the fact that they were good-looking lads um, who were young and had uh, were trying to appeal in a kind of a sexual way. And I know later on, as Boyzone kind of developed, it became sort of more of a thing for teenage girls, but definitely their aesthetic on the first uh, Late Late Show appearance was definitely kind of, for, it was more of kind of a queer-leaning mm. um, kind of borrowing from probably like London nightclub culture um, and which would have been a very, very underground thing in Dublin because it was only two years after homosexuality was decriminalized. So it was sort of, it, it, it it's kind of looked at in a sort of a joking way now, but I think at the time it was just, um, it was quite kind of shocking and rebellious in a way. Um, now we laugh about it, but it is, yeah, it was, it was young youth and sexuality and um, borrowing, even if it wasn't truly authentic, borrowing from sort of the queer London nightclub scene. Yeah, I yeah I think what because uh, I did watch I, I've seen clips of that like on YouTube and um, I just found it so funny because they they had like no songs prepared they just had like the one kind of track that they weren't they were just literally dancing to like I love that clip so much um, the late late show like also like back in. 1987 they did the thing about uh, condoms the the dreaded object I just what is it about the late late show <laughs> just like bringing it bringing up like controversy like sexual controversy 
or it's like spinning controversy out of things that aren't controversial at all like yeah. it's sort of um there's sort of a way where they they keep it like so safe that if they do talk about something like condoms and i know in the 80s talking about condoms in ireland um and uh, would have been a kind of a hush hush topic but um they have a way of just making things seem scandalous when they're actually quite normal. Mm-hmm. So when something like um, sex and sexuality, contraception, um, marriage before or sex before marriage, when all those things are kind of discussed in a lately show, they are framed in a very like, oh, this is awful. Good Lord. The conversation generally in, in, the, in America around 95, 96, was very kind of an open discussion about um, sex and sexual activity and I suppose some sort of sexual liberation and definitely sexual education, Mm. where it even got to the point of where like TLC, when they released their album Crazy Sexy Cool, um, a big part of their promotion was they wore kind of condoms as like eye patches or had condoms very visible on items of their clothing. Um, and the fact that their song Waterfalls, which was released in 1995-96, like that did so well over in Ireland. And that young kid, like I would have been about eight when that was released. So I would have been singing along with the song Waterfalls. And there's one of the verses uh, mentions is like um, three letters take the sky to his final resting place. So that's three letters are HIV. So the fact that an eight-year-old kid in Ireland is singing a song about HIV um, by an American act and it didn't really seep in then but like that is such a big thing that we could even access that when the conversation within Ireland was so protected and um, so um, safe in a safe in a like a non-risky way not yeah, in, um, yeah. not safe as in safe sex way um, that we were getting all these influences mostly from America and then I suppose kind of at a later stage um kind of Britain the London kind of music scene um but we didn't we're not having those discussions in Ireland about kind of like what what was HIV like we that that was a thing that we heard maybe you have if, you, if you're a gay man like that that was just the link like it just it didn't seem to apply to everybody else it was just seem seem it came across as this other this yeah. other item and I think that is kind of the nature of um kind of sexual education in Ireland it's like stuff that happens to other people mm-hmm. because when um I went to an all-girls Catholic secondary school, primary and secondary school actually and um the only time that I can remember having a sex education class I think there's only one class and that was when I was in TY and our geography teacher who probably hadn't a fucking clue about uh teaching children about sex she was the one who was in charge of bringing us in this old projector um where she would slip those kind of clear bits of paper with the photocopied images on it um and they were just kind of close-ups of what different sdis looked like and she was like if you have sex that's what you'll get so like that was my sex education these are things that happen to bad people yeah if you if you misbehave this will happen to you um and it was just a strange thing and then we had um there would have been a very even though my school at the time would have been sort of liberal, there was still such a, a Catholic conservative stronghold mm. on things like sex, sex education to the point where we watched a video by Pam Stenzel, mm-hmm. um, who is this um, super um, Christian, super conservative woman who goes around all kind of schools um, promoting abstinence she's kind of she's made her career as sort of the um, abstinence only educator superstar over in america um for those of you who don't know who pam stenzel is 
she is kind of a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, and like promoting abstinence and abstinence only just means that you're not going to learn about anything else. You're not going to learn about the risks. And then people just kind of believe it gives more room for kind of rumors and myths about sex and like uh, how to have safe sex where you just be like oh if you like I don't know, do it upside down you'll be fine because it yeah. just gives room if you're just going to be pr- uh, promoting this really um one-sided view it's just going to give um other people the uh, i don't know the desire to come up with some way to rebel and that's by making up shit like uh you have sex in a swimming pool you won't get pregnant you know like yeah, stupid yeah. stuff like that um when i when i was in school like it was so confusing because we on the one hand we had um the state required like comprehensive sex ed they taught us about condoms they taught us about contraception and all that but then they followed it up with an assembly with an abstinence only educator and one thing i noticed like like watching videos of abstinence only educators in the states um there seems to be this uh, like a similar thread of like promoting gender norms with within it as well that like guys can't help themselves and girls need to protect their virginity and give it like as a gift to a guy um and then of course like no discussion of any other sex other than penis and vagina for baby making purposes type sex (laughs) yeah and that's so much pressure then if it is um abstinence where you're building up to i don't know is it they have their promise rings and then they have their engagement rings and then they're then the big wedding so it's just this sort of like aren't in a lot of kind of areas in america and the world kind of the marriage age is much younger because people are just dying to have sex yeah and they're like i must have ma- get married so they're getting married really young oh that was like my hometown like by and large like a lot of people got married straight out of high school there was a lot of guys who like joined the military and got married really quick and then like went off and joined the military it, it's funny like you notice the the average age of like first marriage in america i think like the youngest is like 2021 or something it's like utah has like the youngest average age of of first marriage and like why is it that like marriage is making it okay for them to still be uneducated about sex like even if they're married and they're what 21 with like three children Mm. like where well why is that better than someone being properly educated about sex unmarried and I don't know, making the right choices for them that aren't based on religion and kind of conservative belief. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all these miserable young people who just, I don't know, have been taught this ideology about saving themselves um, and saving themselves for the right person once they've made their promise to God. Mm. Um, and then they're still just, like, young and, like, uneducated about sex and have just, like, children popping out of them every I think 18 months I think the one thing that makes me a little bit hopeful and I know this like isn't about the the state situation but I um in the last like couple of years have been getting um phone calls from women who are in their 50s or 60s I had woman one woman ring me um her husband she was in her 70s and her husband had died a couple of years previous and um and they all kind of have the the same story for me that like you know they weren't educated about sex they weren't taught that they could advocate for their own sexuality and now they're kind of later in life wanting to get that back and like advocate for themselves whether they're they're married or widowed or divorced or whatever so it's it's nice to see that we've kind of gotten to 
a stage where we've talked about, I mean, we obviously have way more to talk about, um, but we've talked about it enough that people are starting to say like, I can have sex and it can be fun and like, it can feel good. Um, which is nice to know, especially for people of that generation where it was just so like beaten into them that like sex is something that you do for procreative purposes only. Yeah. And I think even still the way that sex is sort of framed in different types of media within Ireland, especially it's seen as this really kind of risque thing, Mm. but as you know as working um working with sex shilpa you know that people have different levels of sexual activity just because you want to explore your sexuality doesn't mean that you're going to be i don't know by doing it in a really public way yeah exploring your sexuality is still a very private thing if that's what you want it to be yeah but the way whenever the conversation kind of goes into kind of mainstream media it just seems this really x-rated thing but like sexuality is just a part it is biologically a very big part of who we are Mm. and everyone has different levels of it so it's just um yeah it's really frustrating to see like say if there's like a magazine who's suddenly doing like a sex special yeah um, if you're reading that and you don't have like a high sexual drive you're like oh i'm weird yeah you know it's never um it's always done in these kind of big splash ways um or really kind of shocking ways to get people's attention rather than just sort of normalizing the conversation and realizing that everyone has different levels people are interested in different things um when there's a sex special of a magazine out like we don't all want to read about anal we probably just want to hear about like regular sex because it is a fascinating topic but it's never done in kind of a normal um kind of way what i what i would really love to see more in irish journalism and like in magazines and stuff is not so much a focus on sex i mean i know i understand why they do it because like sex sells um and like sex issues are always like the most popular but um i would love to see more stuff on like healthy relationships and um and especially nowadays because one thing I've noticed with a lot of friends that I've had that are in kind of like long-term relationships is like sometimes people stay in bad relationships because of the housing market. (laughs) And I would love to see like more conversation around that. Like what, like what does a healthy relationship look like? What does an unhealthy relationship look like? Yeah. Well, there's also this thing of where marriage or finding yourself a long-term partner, they're kind of seen as the ultimate goal. Like it's like, that's the happy ending. That's, Mm. um, that's who you grow up to be. You grow up to be the person who finds your other half. Um, so people have this idea as well, that being single is a very wrong thing to be. Um, and, that's something that I like completely disagree with because I think um, if you spend your life just looking for this other person to fit, you're not working on yourself at all. Yeah. And that that affects you in so many different ways, like not even like in a sexual way. It's like financially or independence. Oh yeah, or, absolutely. Like the um, ju- just well, like with the housing market, but just like societally, there's just so it's m- set up in such a way that it's much more beneficial for people to be in a couple than to be a single person and that's so ludicrous as well because then it's putting more pressure on people to save you on a mortgage yeah um, it's better if you're married and if you've been i don't know it's, well you probably need a sensible job if you want to get a mortgage but um, <laughs> um it's just this thing of like you can't be a complete person until you found your other half mm. um, and that just puts more pressure on people to do certain things and in a way i actually think it kind of undermines what marriage is supposed to be because if people are getting married so that they can co-sign a house that's 
what the bloody like yeah <laughs> that's, that's that's just going against everything that we've been told about marriage that's a very sacred thing um <laughs> but you yeah, know i think a lot of people um are i think with the with kind of like singlehood and with sex that when you're single it is a good time to explore what you want in a sexual partner and i think with like online dating becoming such a big thing that it has in the last few years people are kind of getting that opportunity but also just the way like uh, the way people in couples are kind of like oh you crazy single people it's like oh well like we're not actually out every single night like there's yeah. just there's such jarring um stereotypes about what it's like to be single where like we should be out having sex all the time but it's like actually no i've just i've just stayed in i've got a takeaway <laughs> <laughs> so i just think that there's this really crazy demand for people to be super sexually driven um and then eventually be in this like committed relationship when kind of everyone just needs to relax a little bit and you know take their time with these things and just figure out what's best for them rather than what idea has been kind of created in the media mm. Um, one thing we were talking about um, a little bit before we started recording that I was like so excited that it was like on both of our list of things that we want to talk about today was Glen Rowe. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> hot and heavy Glen Rowe. So I I haven't seen Miley and Fidelma's role in the hay. I feel like I'm saving it for a special occasion. Like I should have a party <laughs> for, of just like me watching that. It's on the RT player apparently. Is it? Yeah. So yeah, you, you schedule in that party soon. <laughs> Okay, so so tell me about like as as an American with like no prior knowledge of Glen Rowe, the cultural significance of like that storyline. So this was 1997, um, that Miley, who is a farmer, um, and his wife Biddy, um, who also worked on the farm, um, they were uh, they were kind of like a, a couple who were a rock in in their village, um. And Biddy's younger cousin, Fidelma, um, came along and she was babysitter to their, their children. And she seduced Miley uh, for a romp in their hay shed. <laughs> um, and it was such a big deal to have an affair in a, like a, a primetime Irish soap in a society that just would have put anyone who was a cheater or as uh, in, in the devil category. But um, it was interesting that Miley was the man that they used because Miley was kind of like the heart of the show. He was a good man. He was by all means a good man. And it's sort of, um, I think it kind of captured the audience because if you if someone was caught out having an affair, they were the villain immediately. But it sort of put it out um, that good people can make bad choices sometimes. It, it Like Miley and Biddy stayed together, their marriage survived this, but um, it just kind of showed the, the complications within relationships um, when we've just been told that you work towards marriage and that's it. Yeah. Like there's nothing beyond that. So I think that that was really interesting and it was really um, shocking that they'd have some sort of, um, because Fidelma was a, an awful flirt, um, <laughs> that they would have something like that on a telly that, uh, that like uh, kind of, sexual desires can sometimes take over your your good morals or your conscience and that was what we saw in Miley um the good husband good father who slipped up yeah. um and that was um cause that w yeah it would have been around the time of um the first divorce in Ireland I think was like 97 the referendum was around 94 wasn't it and then the first the first one was 94 and then they had the second one in 96 okay so yeah so yeah. like marriage um the kind of the 
the whole constitution of marriage was really being challenged around that time yeah. where people could now really properly decide in Ireland if this decision that they made was the right one for them. So mm-hmm. that all kind of maybe came out in the TV show where people could really just kind of step back and be like, oh no, I do have choices. Uh, people make bad decisions, whether it's a bad decision to get married in the first place or it's a bad decision to have an, uh, have an affair or a bad decision to be with a person who would have an affair. So there's all these things. So it was really... Um, it seems simple, but it really was just breaking down that Catholic idea that we had that marriage was the end of your quest. Like, um, but it proved that there was more to life than after that. I remember, like, so I moved here when I was 20. And, yeah, I moved here in, like, 2005, and I got married in 2006. And then subsequently, like, divorced, and like, three years later. But I just remember when I got married thinking like divorce has only been legal here for 10 years and just how insane that seemed to me as like a 20 year old um the like divorce was only legal for for 10 years and then being so grateful when i when i needed a divorce um that 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 was available to me and the fact that it, it's so difficult to do and so expensive to do yeah it again just kind of goes against the kind of human nature that we do sometimes make bad decisions and we need to be able to make the right decision at a certain point at not such a high cost like yeah. it's really and um, there's just a, there's such a huge level of punishment in ireland um with kind of uh, kind of love and relationships and sex uh, that we're still fighting like it's bizarre like when you look at the like the marriage referendum um two years ago yeah. um, <laughs> like the fact that that had that was a fight that was a battle like my friends um who uh oh my gay friends they, they still look back on that time with a real mix of kind of happiness and just sadness because we were still um we were still questioning what love is we were still questioning what marriage is and then the fact that we had to kind of weigh out whether two men or two women could access that in the same way as everybody else like we just have in ireland we've created this really difficult conversation around love sex and marriage Mm. where it all it's all just kind of held in such a religious way when we're forgetting about the human aspect of it that um kind of love is a fragility fragile thing um and everyone is welcome to it but we still have to really question people if they deserve it like so that was um like, I think that that was a big time. The whole referendum, the Yes campaign was such a big thing. In that, so the the belong to add the bring your family to vote, that was my big pick. That was definitely, like, top of my list um, of, th- like, pop culture moments that I think really helped shape a conversation um, that we were, ha- I mean, we were certainly having it anyway, but it just, I think, really crystallized what, I think a lot of us were, were going through, like, especially people of, like younger people of our generation that ha- going down the country to speak to your friends, neighbors, relatives, whatever. And, um, and asking them like, like, will you, will you vote yes with us? Um, I worked on the, the yes equality campaign in Wexford and I had a lot of friends who did the campaign in Dublin who had a wonderful time and um, look on it back very positively. But I'd say the the people who did uh, the Yes Equality campaigning like down the country, like us down in Wexford, had a really kind of mixed experience. It was a lot of hard work, like so much hard work. Yeah, and the conversation that followed that, it was bringing it back to this isn't happening to other people. This is happening maybe, like you're if you vote yes, you're voting for... Um, 
like maybe your your young nephew or niece who hasn't come out yet yeah. you're voting for your neighbor two doors down who when you're on holidays brings your bins out do you know it's that whole thing of just bringing again just uh back to maybe kind of irish education where these things happen to other people they don't affect us but it's just really important for people to to know that kind of everyone who's living in this country is part of our community like it's such a small country mm. and we need to be able to look after each other and I think that that really shone through just the way it was a very difficult time for people but the way that everybody had their backs everyone who was on the yes side like we all looked after each other in such a special way and like I went went campaigning um one of the evenings and just we we're going in di- different estates and um it was um like you'd have a fa- like there was one door we went to and the mother came to the front door with her three kids and she's like oh yes all the yeses here who can legally <laughs> vote you got nothing and then two doors down you'd have this man open up the door and he's like nope not talking to you people just mm. the fact that these people could be living on the exact same road yeah and have such differing opinions and there was one family actually that we went to um one kind of elderly couple and they were on the fence but by the end of that they were kind of like yeah, we see your point it's just it's just love like you can't you can't separate that I think those were the best moments for me when you were when I was like talking to someone who was on the fence and by the end of it like just through sheer like kindness um just ta- talking it out with the person and answering all of the questions that they might have and then by the end of the conversation like them taking a flyer and saying yeah I'm gonna I'll, I'll you change my mind I'm gonna vote yes like that was just such a huge moment for me because I think a lot of the people who were going for the no side they were just using they're using sexuality in such a gross way mm. like they were painting anyone who's a member of the LGBT community to be like a sexual deviant that um they were the ones having um this immoral sex when like we're all we all have sex yeah. you know but they it's um there's a really disgusting way in which I think that people can use sexuality to paint certain certain communities. Definitely within the, the within the queer company, they're they're just painted as um, people who are filthy and who want to who want to um, they, they kind of want to use their sexuality as like a weapon. Yeah, do you know? And like that's a narrative that we really need to kind of get away from. That um, having uh, sexual desires doesn't mean you're a pervert and I think that's because that is the way when sex is brought as a mainstream topic it's it's shown in a really kind of perverted way I think Mm -hmm. when it is something that you know we all experience no matter what our ages or what our background is so like you said it's like it's always framed as like a shocking kind of like titillating sort of way um and not just as like normal born old sex that we all have (laughs) where we make crazy faces and sounds yeah um, it's not movie sex it's uh, <laughs> really horrible sex and your uh, damp bets it <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting because we have the, the repeal the eighth um referendum coming up in the next year or so it'll be really interesting to and horrifying i'm sure to see like how it's going to be framed yeah uh, yeah because then women are just going to be pointed um by the people who are opposing uh, repealing the eighth they're just going to paint the women who want to have access to abortions or proper health care to be uh, really loose women mm. who um, are trying to kind of betray men. Like that's that is going to be the narrative that we're going to have to be dealing with in the next couple of years when, again, like things happen in your life 
that you haven't planned if and unwanted pregnancies they're part of that but also i don't know just it's going to be painted in that way it's going to be really loose women who can't control themselves yeah when there's just so many different levels to it kind of like healthcare, again finances are a big thing age if you don't want to be a mother if you're really young or if you're if you've already got three children yeah if you're already a mother and you don't want to have a fourth when you're all the rest of your children are out of the house like it's there's so many different levels to it but then when it's all brought down to sex it's just that sex is bad and we should all learn to control ourselves yeah I god I'm kind of yeah I'm really dreading it because I just the the marriage equality referendum was just so as joyous as it was on the day when it happened the uh like the run-up to it was just so exhausting and I I just imagine like this one next year is going to be a million times more so yeah well like we are we are fighting like centuries old conservative catholic guilt Mm. and we have to like really like hammer that down and that's kind of what we're doing and it's really like um kind of back to pop culture um like even the idea of like um i had samantha mumba down on my list um, oh let's talk about samantha mumba <laughs> because she so she was um she released gotta tell you around 1999 and that and we would have already had britney spears and christina aguilera um there was that kind of teen sex icon thing going on in pop mm. culture at the moment um and there were these like blue-eyed blonde uh, american girls who were doing that and then all of a sudden we had samantha mumba who was a young black irish girl um who could sing and she she wasn't like overly she wasn't sexualized to the point of like britney spears was who appeared on the cover of rolling stone in her pajamas and holding a telly tubby teddy yeah um samantha mumba was just herself and she was sexy she wasn't sexualized. She was just like, that was the kind of comfortable way to explore sexuality. It wasn't hyper. It was just who she was. Mm-hmm. And I know it's weird to be like, she was a sexy teenager, but she was, <laughs> she was beautiful. And she, um, she still is. And she, she made it to America as well. Yeah. Um, and I know that she was probably kind of disgusted in a way like, oh, she shouldn't be wearing that low top or those tight jeans. But she was just representing what a lot of young Irish girls looked like at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was um, just the the start of young people kind of discovering, you know, their, their comfort with their own attractiveness or their own sexuality. And I think it was really important that we and had... just being confident and young and beautiful, like... And the fact that we had a pop star for that brief period of time um, <laughs> one album um um because in ireland we don't have female pop stars like mm. there's such a rarity um we have a lot of kind of great like indie pop or electro pop acts now but to have that big mainstream female pop artist like that was big like when we had like so many boy bands uh being thrown our way in a really desensitized sexual way yeah. so then we had this like gorgeous girl who um kind of broke that she broke the boring boy band mold and that was i think that was pretty big so do you have any more picks yeah well yeah i think in a way the stuff the big kind of pop culture things that were being sold like what boyzone turned out to be and what westlife were as well it was just really beige wasn't it and that like we have like daniel donnell who was one of our biggest singers for so long just this really it's like they were all like I don't know, castrated at an early age and never really got to explore. <laughs> they were very non-threatening. Exactly. Safe, um, wrapped up in cotton wool. Um, and we're like shaking that now. Like I think that's 
gone mm. like we, like you two like you said kind of they would have come out in Bono in his sort of high heels and like leather waistcoat no shirt like that was sexual in a way even if you don't want to say it is but we are we're like really slowly kind of edging our way out of that um and yeah I just think uh, hopefully we just don't fall back I hope we don't fall back into these conservative ways like we don't have to go out there and have like full public S&M shows but it's just a way to have a comfortable level of sexuality where you know that people are just happy to be themselves and part of your sexuality and your and your sex life is a part of who you are and we just need to address it in a less um late late show way <laughs> yeah speaking of like female pop stars um i would be w- remiss without um talking about Sinead o'connor and like her contribution um just as like a beautiful woman who shaved her head and like had some of the most amazing pop tunes to come out of ireland ever like I, i'm sure like a lot of people have seen the the video that she posted recently where she was asking for help um with her mental health and um just so many people like in my facebook timeline um just reposting stuff from her over the years and like watching her mandinka video and just a young woman who was just so um confident in herself was just so um so threatening to the establishment she was like demonized mm-hmm. like people just turned her into this awful creature like uh, when she went on snl and ripped up the photo of the pope the fact that she was like uh people just said that she was like was it her and miley cyrus yeah miley cyrus had a big <laughs> go at sinead o'connor um, really yeah um oh yes i remember a few years ago yeah yeah, yeah. so sinead o'connor um i think wrote an open letter um to miley just being basically been like make sure all these choices you're making are yours is it your choice to be the sexual in your performances don't be listening to i don't know the man in your record label who's telling you to strip off mm. don't be listening to the man who's fully clothed in his suit to tell you to make your shorts shorter mm. and your top lower and to grind around like make sure that these choices are your choices which is that's the important thing make sure everything you're doing is actually your choice don't be acting up for somebody else yeah I know that's unusual to say for a pop star. Don't be acting up for anybody else, seeing as that's their main, their main um, source of income. Um, but the fact that Sinead O'Connor was completely demonized back then for being controversial, controversial, and like now, the music industry just runs on controversy. Yeah. Like if you if you get in the papers, or if um, TMZ gets something about you, you're going to be back in the top ten. Do you yeah. know? It's it's such an unusual way that this story has flipped. And again, kind of with Sinead O'Connor lately, like it's really, it's, she's, we've treated her so badly. Um, the fact that she was an outspoken woman and we just turned her, we just created her as this lunatic. Yeah. And it's horrible in the way that we still talk about her. Um, like how different was she from Bono? Like Bono as like the keys to the city. This is it. Do you yeah. know, he can feed his, she grazes sheep in Stevens Green. But Sinead O'Connor now, unfortunately, is in a holiday inn in America somewhere, just posting videos of her depression on Facebook and people are still laughing at her. Yeah. Uh, whereas we've been such a big part in her, I don't know, we've, we've, we've affected her life. Like, so I think that's, yeah, it's just horrible that we have managed. That's such an interesting comparison between her and Bono because you're absolutely like spot on with that. I always use Bono as sort of a, a pinpoint because again, you could just use Bono because he, he does great things mm. he does great great things he does also talk a lot of shit um <laughs> but some of the stuff he said 
like there's I think there was like a BuzzFeed quiz there a while ago it's kind of like who said it Bono or Kanye and you couldn't really tell the difference but yeah. it's the way that because Kanye is a black guy um, he's shown as crazy or unhinged but Bono is a white old guy he's right but yeah. and he's not slagged well he is slagged but he's not like no one's calling him a uh, lunatic well not some people <laughs> <laughs> you know he's hanging out with US presidents yeah, and yeah, you yeah. know you know he is he's doing an awful lot for the world but um, he's kind of put on this pedestal where if you switch the gender if you switch the the race and that person is just painted as as an absolute maniac Mm. so i think we're coming up to the end of the show but i wanted to before we go i want to talk about you're going to bring a pop culture moment to the dublin fringe festival oh that's generous (laughs) (laughs) no i like i really like i really think i love the fringe festival so much because i i feel like it um it makes theater and art more accessible um and affordable to people and um and so your show why won't you have sex with me tell us about why won't you have sex with me why why is it more (laughs) sexy um so again this show is a response to to the way that sex is framed in the media and um, I mentioned kind of how if you focus on, say, specific groups like women or members of the LGBT community, it's, it's sex is framed in this kind of like bad way. Mm-hmm. So with disabled people, um, there every year there's kind of like a, a time in the media where they decide to turn their attention back onto disabled people. So our little window of glimmer um, is oh, can disabled people be attractive? Um, do disabled people have sex? It's done in this really superficial way. You're um, so brave. Oh, you're such an inspiration. Oh. Um, so why won't you have sex with me is a direct response to the amount of emails that I've gotten from different journalists in, in Ireland asking if I would be interested um, in an interview with them to discuss um, sex as a disabled person. Mm. And my problem with that is they're just coming to me to be like, oh, you're disabled. Let's talk about sex. That's invasive. They're using my disability yeah. as a way to get really private information out there. And I know that they're only going to frame it in one or two ways. If I'm not if I am not having sex, um, I'm lonely and I'm likely to die alone. If I am having sex, I'm a freak. Do you know, I'm a fetishist. I'm, um, I'm doing the nastiest things imaginable. Or the person having sex with me is in a fetishist who... Um, only likes me because I'm in a wheelchair or I've got a prosthetic leg. Yeah. So it's framed in this really seedy way or this really sad way. And I'm just saying we might, some of us might be those things, but we're everything else in the same way that everybody approaches sex in a different way. And we don't know the, pardon pun, the ins and outs of how every single person has sex. But the way that the media uses disability, um, they want to know the precise things that we do when that's not a question you would throw at anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, in my research for it, like I was talking to, I've interviewed a lot of non-disabled and disabled people about it. And I know a lot of guys who have physical disabilities, mostly in wheelchairs, a question that they get all the time is like, how does your penis work? Like. That is not something... That's not appropriate. That is not appropriate. And people just kind of think because you're disabled, you can put these really personal questions out there as your first or second question. Like, I have people coming up to me going, were you in an accident? And I just go, no. Um, because 
I don't answer them. I just I say just give give them no, and I don't offer any other information because my medical history is not their business. Yeah. You don't go around to anyone and be like, so what were you in the GP for last? Like you don't ask people. Um, like we're told time and time again, say if someone's sick, you don't ask invasive questions. You let them bring that information to you if that's what they want to do. But disability people just seem to think of it as a a complete um invite to know the in like the private details about our medical history or our sex lives and i just really want to kind of challenge that and get just get other people thinking realizing that disability isn't an alien thing Mm. everyone no matter what their abilities are has different sexual levels of activity different preferences different um anxieties and i just think that it's really unfair that it is being framed in this way that um they can just ask us these really inappropriate questions for the national papers or the radios or tv shows yeah oh i'm so excited about it i got tickets to the the preview on the 8th what what so it's running from so the previews on the 8th when's um it's on um the 8th 9th 10th and 11th um the 8th and 9th are sold out there's tickets still going for the 10th and 11th and it's on in the project arts center Excellent. So yeah, tickets are selling out really fast, guys. So get your tickets to Why Won't You Have Sex With Me in the Project Art Center at the Dublin Fringe Festival. Louise, thank you so much for taking time out of like, I know you're doing like all the, the tech and rehearsals and stuff lately. So thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to the brilliant Louise Bruton. If you're looking for a really great show to see at the Fringe Festival, please check out Why Won't You Have Sex With Me? Also, be sure to read and subscribe to Louise's fabulous blog, Legless in Dublin, where she gives really great quick reviews of restaurants, venues, and events around Dublin, including their accessibility for wheelchair users. Today's episode was produced by Megan Fox. Our music is by Shane O'Sullivan and artwork by Sheena Flynn. Big special thanks goes out to the wonderful staff at the Temple Bar Hotel on Fleet Street. Our little headstuff recording studio wasn't wheelchair accessible for Louise, so they kindly offered to let us record in their bar and even made us a load of tea. For all of our listeners out there who are looking for a great central watering hole, they do five euro pints Monday to Wednesday, so do check them out. As we've mentioned in the show several times, I'm the owner and proprietor of SexShopa.ie, Ireland's multi-award winning health and design focused sex shop. And starting today and for the month of September, I'd like to give my gorgeous listeners 10% off their sexy purchases. All you have to do is put a load of sex toys, lubricants, strap-on harnesses, whatever you like into your shopping cart and then type in the code HISTORY10 at checkout. That's HISTORY10 at checkout to get 10% off well-designed, body-safe sex toys. Your bits will thank you. That's it for this month. We'll see you again next month. Take care.